0: I don't know any opportunity that you might have to go over to Denmark, but if you ever happen to go over there, you might swing by Copenhagen and look at the zoo. They have a new exhibit there that you might find interesting. In the primate section, right next to the baboons, apes and monkeys, not surprisingly, they have an exhibit of a human couple you can go there and in a see-through cage you can observe Heinrich Lehmann and Mylene Botoft there together in their habitat. Now unlike their neighbors they get to get out and shop whenever they want to. But they live in a 320 square foot habitat that has a, uh, a living room with furniture, computer, television, uh, kitchen. The whole habitat except the bathroom is in full view of the public including the bedroom and this guy the male of the species made this statement they said we don't even notice visitors anymore if I want to pick my nose or my toes I do it you know I read that and I thought that is a whole lot like the book that we're about to start today where we get to look into the private lives of a couple and we get to look at some of the intimate details uh... very private issues in their relationship none of it is hidden be it their conflict from their sex life from how they were attracted to one another etc. it's all there in fact so much of the book is so graphic in their relationship that historically israel and the church have had a great problem in taking the book seriously they'll look at the song of solomon and they'll say well This can't be talking about what it's talking about. Because if it's talking about what it's talking about, then we can't talk about it. I mean, there's some pretty racy issues in there. And so what they did, uh, they interpreted it allegorically. They said, well, this can't really be talking about human sexuality. It doesn't mention prayer. It hardly mentions God, and that's even debatable. There's hardly any spiritual issues at all. It's all focused around the the emotional and sexual growth of this couple. What in the world is that doing in the Bible? And so they allegorically interpret, for example, uh, you're going to love this, the breasts of the bride, they interpret that to be Moses and Aaron. I'd like to know which is which. They interpret as well uh, as, as the Old and New Testament. Kind of going, well, where do you come up with that? But they come up with it. The only problem is, is a much more popular view. In fact, there's even songs out today uh, we've sung even here. I, my beloved's, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. That's taken from the Song of Solomon. The idea being that the bride and the groom are God and Israel, or Jesus and the church. The only problem with that allegorical interpretation is it's nowhere found in the book. In fact, it's nowhere found in the Bible. If we interpret this book the way we are to interpret the rest of Scripture, that is literally, we understand that this book is teaching, the purpose of the book is to examine a very real part of our lives. That is the natural passions that God has given us, beginning from the attraction all the way through the growth and commitment in a marriage relationship. So turn with me, if you would, to the Song of Solomon. Right, about in the middle of your Bible is Psalms, and then you go Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Sometimes it's called the Song of Songs. Maybe you have a Bible that's called that. If you have an old Bible, maybe called Canticles, which is, which means song from a Latin word that means song. But it's not surprising that the Lord would give us a book about this theme, since human love is such an important theme in our lives. You know, in the New Testament, Paul's epistles particularly tell us the roles and responsibilities of us as singles and as husbands and wives, uh, sexually, anyway. We've got roles and responsibilities in the New Testament. Uh, we've even got our sexual responsibilities in the New Testament. But the New Testament doesn't talk a lot about passion, about emotion. Probably because Solomon did such a great job in the Song of Solomon covering the issue. So whether you are single, or dating, or engaged, or newlywed, or wit, this book applies to you. And, and all the various aspects of our lives and the progression for many people from singlehood and the attraction and dealing with this struggle of of how do I deal with my sexuality in this attraction as a single, to the marriage and the conflict that comes with marriage and the resolution. How do you resolve that conflict? How do you grow in intimacy? How do you grow in commitment? We are taught that through the illustration of Solomon and his wife in this book. Do any of you know what Dave Loggins' most famous song is? Right. What, what did you say? Don't know. Have you heard of Please Come to Boston? That song? Dave Loggins, Kenny's brother. That's it. Can you think of anything else Dave Loggins has done? No, you couldn't think of that one. I mean, there's not that many. He's one of these one-hit wonders. You know, you wonder how this guy ever got on the top of the charts with just one song. Well, that's kind of the, what we have here with the Song of Solomon. Look at the very first verse. We're told, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, if you were to read in the verse, in the book of 1st King, 1st Kings, you would see Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. That's a lot of songs. We only got one of them recorded here. So Solomon's one of those one-hit wonders that uh, only really had one song make it to the top of the charts, and this is it. In fact, the title, Song of Songs, it means the greatest or the best of songs. Kind of like the most holy place in the temple was called the Holy of Holies, where Jesus is referred to as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, meaning He is the Lord of all the Lords. We're told that this song is the Song of Songs, meaning it is the best, it is the greatest of all songs. And it's recorded here in the scriptures for us to learn. As David said, today we're going to be introduced to this couple, to Solomon's girlfriend, fiance, and to Solomon. Initially, we're going to see what makes them attracted to one another, and therefore what we ought to focus on in being attractive. Look at the second verse. She speaks first. She says, May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, For your love is better than wine. Isn't it interesting, straight out of the book, we see, straight out of the shoot, the very first thing we see, after we're introduced to the fact that this is the best song, we're told, we're given an example here of the natural desire and expression for sexual intimacy. In fact, when she says, obviously we know kiss is physical, she says, your love is better than wine. The Hebrew word there for love means physical love. It's not talking about emotion talking about physical love, affections, defined here by his kisses. Better than wine. In other words, his kisses more intoxicate her than wine does. More exhilarates and refreshes her than wine. His kisses. Why is it that she speaks first? In, a, in this kind of a culture, it is very unusual for the woman to speak first, And not only that, if you'll just take my word for it, all throughout the book, she does most of the talking, which is not unusual in a relationship, is it? (laughs) The man is usually a little more timid about expressing his emotions, and you see the text reflecting that here as well. Why does she want to be kissed, we're told? Well, because your love is better than wine. What is it that makes his kisses so outstanding? It's not that she wants to be kissed. She wants his kisses. Why is that? Look at verse 3. She says, Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Now, it's pretty subtle. You may not have noticed that she switched from talking about him to talking to him. Almost in the same thought. And then we're going to see in verse 4, she goes back to talking about him. I take it that she's talking about him in some sense to herself, because when this is done in Hebrew, when you switch back and forth like this, it's to illustrate an an intense emotion, an incredible excitement that she's feeling. When Kathy and I first started dating, uh, well, actually, before we started dating, when I first met her, it was at a Bible study that we were in in college. And I remember driving to this Bible study. You know when you drive down the road and there's a car next to you that kind of stays equal with you as you're driving? After a while, it is kind of weird, so you look over to see who it is. Well, I was driving in my single man studly black firebird. Okay, And I noticed this car that was keeping up with me. So I look over, and there is Miss Single Kathy Music smiling at me just just looking over and smiling at me. Or is that, That's cue number one, all right? It's probably the firebirds she was thinking about. <laughs> when well, we get to the Bible study, and I think it's that night uh, that she picks me, yes, me, out of all the eligible bachelors, we hadn't even had our first date yet, she asks me to put a hubcap back on her car that had fallen off. Of course, with great skill, I accomplished this feat. Actually, have you ever tried to do that? You cannot look manly putting a hubcap on. You end up looking like a brute because those things are so hard. Anyway, after I finally asked her out for the first time, she told me after we were married that uh, she was so excited about going out with me (laughs) that she couldn't study for her college classes. Now, Now, don't you find that hard to believe? I personally found that hard to believe. She was so excited she said she couldn't study. Amen, yes. She was excited about going out with me. When, uh, in fact, she told me again after we were married. So many things you find out after the fact. If you found out beforehand, you wonder how things would have changed. But she told me after we were married that the Lord impressed on her that we were going to get married before we had even dated. Now I didn't know I was marrying a prophetess. Okay, you want to know what the stock market is going to do? Just ask Kathy. She knew the future. She knew that she was going to marry me. Anyway, she is all excited beforehand. And you get that same emotion to where you can't even think straight. For her, it was studying. For here, this woman thinking about Solomon, it was she switched back and forth. Oh, I wish he would do this. Oh, I wish you would do this. Back and forth, she's excited. What was it that excited her? It wasn't necessarily the kisses. Why his kisses? Well, it probably wasn't because of his cologne. Verse 3, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. But what that cologne represented, she says, your name is like purified oil. or In other words, like the best cologne. Name means reputation. Character. What excited this woman about Solomon was this young man's character. He was a godly man. Here's a principle that you can take all the way to the bank with you. Character is what makes you most attractive to others. Not looks, not bank accounts, not Firebirds. Character. Who you are. I don't know if you've heard the story about some burglars who broke into a department store and instead of stealing stuff, they switched price tags on everything. They made a $300 men's suit a dollar ninety-eight they made an expensive switch 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 watch uh, thirty-nine cents and they did the other stuff as well it did a a, a real cheap kids plastic watch it was three hundred dollars and then they snuck out as if nobody had been there and the place opened up Monday morning and I kid you not people went in there and bought and sold the merchandise for the listed prices And you say well that's hard to believe I found it hard to believe the first time I heard it too. Until I got to thinking about human nature, we place the most value on things that are worthless, and we'll place great value, uh, we'll place great value on things that are worthless, and just the opposite. We'll make cheap things expensive and expensive things cheap. You know, in magazine racks today, you will never see an issue, a, a magazine called Character. Or a magazine called Servanthood. Instead, we've got Bodybuilder and things like that. We focus, we place great value on that which does not have that much value to it. You know, I'll be honest with you. The thing that most attracted me to my wife when we began to date was her character. I had had it up to there with beauty with no maturity. I had been through that, and I didn't want any more of it. But when I met Kathy Music, the more I interacted with her, the more I wanted to interact with her. And I decided, because of her character, I was going to get her phone number. You know how I did it? I'll tell you. Again, at this Bible study, what would I have done without this Bible study? There was a roster that went around. And uh, what you would do to kind of show that you were there for that night, you put your name and your phone number. Well, I figured, sly guy that I was, when the roster came around, I'd get Kathy's phone number. Okay, the roster comes around, everybody's name is on it, everybody's phone number is on it. I get down to Kathy's name, and she is the only woman in that whole Bible study that didn't put her phone number on there. She put, C church office. I thought, what, does she live at the church office? <laughs> So I had to get her phone number another way. I found out who her roommate was and I uh, wiggled around and got her phone number through that way. It was Kathy's character that so excited me about her. Yes, she's beautiful. But she is so much more beautiful beneath the skin. The scripture tells us that charm is deceitful. Why is that? Because we can all fake it and we're all sinners. It's deceitful. Nobody's charming all the time. It says, beauty is fleeting. Why is that? Because we all get old and the beauty goes away. But then it goes on to say, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It is character that really matters. You can be around a person that is attractive, a person that is popular, a person that is rich, who drives this car, who lives in this house, but if they don't have the character to back up that external thing that really has a cheap price tag on it, the most valuable thing that they could have, their character, makes them worthless. Your character is what makes you attractive. And for this woman, what most attracted her, why she wanted to be kissed by this man, was not that he smelled good, not that he was a rich young king, and not that he was handsome. It was that his name, his reputation, his character, was like purified oil. Instead of trying to find the right person if you're single, instead you need to focus on being the right person and letting God bring the right person for you to you. It is not a quest It is a discovery that comes from being the right person, not trying to find them. Solomon's girlfriend knew this about him, and we're told also that the maidens loved him. Or you could translate it the virgins, the other single women. Solomon was a catch. She wasn't the only one that recognized his character. All the other maidens did too. So she makes a request to Solomon in verse 4. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. Now again, here she, she switches back and forth. She's saying to to him in her mind, Draw me after you. Let's run again." In other words, let's hitch up. Let's get married. And then she says, The king's brought me into his chambers. It's probably better to translate that, May he bring me, like, he, like she did up, for, up front, May he kiss me. Because this is in her mind. They have not gotten married yet, so... They're not in the bedroom. But in her mind, she desires it. She desires to make love to this man because of his character. In fact, all the other maidens do as well. So she makes a request. Draw me after you. Not them. Me. May I come. And notice, too, she's wanting him to be the one that makes all the moves. May he kiss me. Draw me after you. Uh, the king has brought me, or you could translate it, may he bring me. She desires him to be the pace setter in the relationship, as should he be. And now we're introduced to what you might call a chorus or the daughters of Jerusalem. And they make this comment about Solomon. Remember, all the other maidens love him as well. They say, we will rejoice in you meaning Solomon, and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. And then I take it the woman says, rightly, do they love you? And why would she say that about the competition? Well, I think because she's got her eyes wide open, and this is not an infatuation that she has. If you are willing to admit that other people, let me back up and say, you, you need to look around and see if other people are saying the same thing you are about this person whom you say you love. If you're the only one who admires somebody's character, if nobody else has a concurrence that this person is a man or a woman of God, then you might want to watch out. It may be that you're infatuated and looking through rose-colored glasses. So I think it is a mature, a statement of maturity that she says, rightly, do they love you. Now, what does it mean when she says, when they say about him, we will rejoice in you, extol your love more than wine. We don't talk like that. We're going to see all throughout this book figurative language. Now, this is a song, and we use figurative languages in songs. In fact, I came across a song that I have kind of nicknamed The Redneck Song of Solomon. I'd like to read part of it to you to help you understand how we work and use these similes and metaphors in poetry. And I'll read it in the vernacular that perhaps it was written. You move like the bass, which excites me in May. You ain't got no scales, but I loves you anyway. Like a good roll of duct tape, you're there for your man. You're as graceful as an okra, just a-dancing in the pan. You got all your teeth, for which I'm proud. I hold my head high when we're in a crowd. On special occasions when you shave your armpits, Well, I'm in hog heaven, plumb out of my wits. You're cut from the best pattern like a flannel shirt plaid. You sparked up my life like a rattle trap shad. When you hold me real tight like a padded gun rack, my life is complete. Ain't nothing I lack. Your complexion, it's perfection, like the best vinyl siding. Despite all them years, your age, it keeps hiding. Me and you, it's like moon pie with RC cold drank. We go together like a skunk goes with (laughs) stank. Now, this redneck brother uses metaphors in his song that make sense to his culture and to his wife. This is probably a very romantic thing to be compared to the stink on skunk. (laughs) But we'll do the same thing. Remember John Denver's old song, You fill up my senses like what? like the mountains in springtime, like a walk in the rain, like a sleepy blue ocean, like a night in a forest. He's using these different similes and metaphors to say in a much more poetic and romantic way, simply than saying, I like being with you. And not only that, when we get into some of these later chapters and we look at their their sexual intimacy, the figurative language couches these erotic terms in ways that allow them in some sense to be in Scripture and that can be read by anyone. These erotic terms are couched in poetic language to say something that is a very sensitive nature in a much more uh, sensitive way or much more palatable way than rather than just coming out and saying what's happening. They use poetry. And so to be compared to extolling love greater than wine and some of the other things that we're going to be experiencing, they're going to seem as funny as the redneck song of Solomon because that's not our culture. So once we get past the chuckles, the patient student of this book, understanding the culture, can understand what they mean by these different figures of speech. To be extolled more than wine, wine was simply the means by which they would celebrate so to be extolled more than wine means an incredible celebration. These maids are are extolling Solomon's love more than the normal, more than the norm. And now she turns and speaks to the women of Jerusalem. She has said, rightly do, they love you. And now she talks to them, to the competition here in verse 5. She says, I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not stare at me because I am swarthy, meaning dark or black, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyards. She describes her skin as dark, like the tents of Kedar. The tents of Kedar were made of a black goat's skin. So they're very dark. In fact, they're literally they were black. And she describes her her skin is like that. And it's like that, we're told, because she's been out in the sun and been burned. Now to us, a suntan and to have real dark skin in our culture is a very uh, attractive thing, isn't it? To their culture, it was a very unattractive thing because it meant that you were poor and you had to work outside, especially for a woman. For a woman, and she says her brothers made her caretaker of the vineyard. So she was out there doing hard labor all her life, this poor young country girl, and she's dark, and she's looking at all the other fair-skinned women and saying, don't stare at me because I'm different. I'm like this because I've had to work. So you see, immediately, compared to all the other ladies who, by the way, remember, love Solomon as well, she feels insecure because she's different. She doesn't feel as attractive as them. So she admits this insecurity, and now she turns and asks Solomon a question. She says, Tell me, verse seven, tell me, O you whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? It's kind of hard to understand right at the outset what she's saying, what she's asking, because Solomon is not a literal shepherd. He was a king. And he didn't have flocks uh, in some sense. So what is she asking? Well, if you were to read on through the book, and as we go through it, we'll see this phrase continue about pasturing your flocks. And, And every time after this that it happens, this phrase is linked with their commitment to one another. She'll say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. He pastures his flocks among the lilies. And she describes herself as Lily of the Valley. So here in the context of her insecurity, insecure about her looks, and now I take it she's insecure about their relationship. Where do you want to, where do you pasture your flocks? In other words, where do you want to graze? Later on she says, it's with me. I am my beloved's and he is mine. But now she doesn't know that. In light of this insecurity of her looks and everybody else loves you, where do you want to graze, Solomon? Why should I be like one who veils herself? In other words, why should I be like a mourner? Why should I be sad uh, beside somebody else's flock? I want to be with yours. And so having opened herself up to him and expressed her insecurity about her looks, her insecurity about their relationship, now in verse 8, for the first time, we hear King Solomon speaking. To her, and he says, If you yourself do not know, most beautiful among women, go forth on the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. She was insecure about her looks, and right out of the barrel he handles that. He says, You're insecure about your looks for all these other women? Let me tell you, I think you are the most beautiful of all women. And as far as our relationship, he says, he he uses the very figure that she uses about pasturing the flock. He says, go forth on the trail of the flock. In other words, come on down to where my flock is. Bring your flock in with mine, with my shepherds. Pasture your own goats by the tents of the shepherds. In other words, he's saying, I want you. You've asked me where do I want to graze? I want to graze with you. You bring your flock in with mine. Insecure about her looks, insecure about their commitment, in one verse, he handles both. I can remember sitting on the front porch of my college house, which was infested with rats, which is probably why Kathy liked to sit on the front porch so much. <laughs> but we sat there one night after we'd been dating a while, and I knew it was time to make a statement like this. And I told her, I said, I'm not sure where we're headed, but I want you to know for now, I'm not going to date Anybody else but you. I want you to know that. And she later told me, again after we're married, that that was a wonderful bit of security for her, to know where we're going. That though I am uh, available, or because I'm single, and could have dated any anybody else, it is her and her alone that I wanted to be with. After a while in a relationship, And if you've been in a relationship, you know this. It's usually the woman who asks here, where do you want to pasture your flock, oh shepherd? You're going to graze in everybody's field or just mine? She needs commitment. And a wise man, if he has let the relationship get that far, will be able to affirm, my commitment is with you. If not, you got to start doing some serious backpedaling emotionally. And it's so difficult to do that. It's difficult to backpedal physically. We're going to be talking about that next week. Once this attraction has happened, how do you deal with that sexuality as a single? It's so difficult to backpedal once you've started through the bases. And it's also difficult to backpedal emotionally. Well, Solomon, pacing the relationship as he has, has brought it to the point now. She asks and he answers, It's you I want. He affirms her. And beyond that, in verse 9, he doesn't just say, you're the most beautiful among women. Very often, he uh, he gives details now in verse 9 and 10 and 11. Look at this. He says, to me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Let's stop there. Try that next time, guys. You're out on a date with a lady. Call her a horse. And see how well that goes over. Again, it's a cultural thing here. He says, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's chariots were only pulled by stallions. And so what do you think is going to happen if there's a mare out there with a bunch of stallions? Haha, uh-huh, stampede, right? To get to this mare. So essentially, he has done exactly for her what she has done for him. And that is, she has said, you're a catch, the maidens love you. And he turns it right back around. And in the very area that she was insecure, her looks, he says, it is that that makes you the most unique and it makes you like a mirror among stallions. In other words, the stallions want you. You're like a mirror among the stallions. You're a catch too, in other words. He takes the very area of her insecurity and turns it around into a compliment. And then he does what men so often need to do better at. And that is not speak in generalities, but in details. Verse 10 and 11, he says, Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you, he says, ornaments of gold with beads of silver. When asked, how do I look? He didn't just say, yeah, you look great. As we so often do. What do you think about my earrings? (laughs) David shares it with me. What do you think about my earrings? Oh, you look great. And she had two different earrings on. (laughs) Wanted to know which one he preferred. Ah, you look fine. (laughs) Solomon notices the details. And he gets specific about his compliments. He doesn't just say, Woman, you look good. But he says, Woman, I like that necklace. I like those earrings. In fact, I'd like to make for you a necklace of silver and gold. He goes beyond, and he gives her a sentimental gift. We we men give practical gifts, don't we? For Christmas, we buy uh, our ladies bread machines. and And things that we're going to reap from, right? Women prefer sentimental gifts, like jewelry. Stuff that you're never going to get to enjoy. Except when you see it on them. Solomon does a good job here as a single man. And I, and as we go through here and see some more things he tells her, you can really tell in comparison here early on that he is holding back those emotional reins. He is telling her compliments, but he is not telling her everything. That's another reason I take it that she's talking about herself up, talking to herself up front. Not telling him, hey, I want to sleep with you. There are some things as a single that are not proper yet to express. Solomon and his bride-to-be do a very good job at expressing themselves. Here Here is a principle that is our last one gleaned from these last few verses. The personal insecurities are overcome by frequent affirmations. Remember what she was insecure about? Her looks and their relationship and now you see her uh, you see him giving affirmation in those very areas tell her tells her how uh, she looks and tells her about the relationship affirmations is frequent you know all of us have some kind of a something that we don't like about ourselves or all self-conscious in some area usually we try to hide that here they're vulnerable enough to share here's where I'm insecure and the other person is wise enough to recognize that insecurity and to offer affirmation. Kathy sometimes will tell me, after I have affirmed her in the area of uh, being a mother or a wife to me, uh, of a cook or whatnot, of working with other ladies, and I will affirm her in some particular area. And she has often told me, You know what? You know how I was feeling before you said that? I was feeling just the opposite. To affirm somebody in an area of insecurity is a great way to overcome it, if it's truth. Now, I'm not saying if she's a lousy cook and go, Hon, that was a great meal. Because what are you going to get? You're going to continue to get lousy meals. You're affirming behavior that you don't desire. What you want to do is you want to affirm the area of their insecurity, something positive about their character, and do it frequently do it frequently. Some of you are going to be amazed in the Song of Solomon how many times this couple continues to affirm one another. I mean all throughout this book you almost get sick of it. They talking to one another and complimenting, boy you look great about this, you're doing great about this, I love you for this. Very seldom is there a critical word, very often is there affirmation. And not into the generalities, woman well, you look good, it's in the details. I like that necklace, the details of affirmation. That's what both appreciate. There was a couple who was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and was asked by this young man, the old husband was asked by the young man, uh, how did y'all do it for 50 years? He says, that's outstanding. And as, the, as old folks will generally do, he says, well, let me tell you a story, son. And he goes back and tells him the story about how they met. And goes through the whole stuff with all these irrelevant details. And then he gets up to the, to the point. And that is that when they got married, the very day, his new father-in-law came up to him and gave him a wrapped box, a little small box. And says, son, his, his uh, new wife's name was Sarah. He says, this is what you and Sarah need. For a happy marriage. Every day you look at this. This is the secret to a happy marriage. Well, so The guy rips the box open. And takes off the lid. And there is a gold watch. And he opens it up. As he would do every day. To see what time it was. And there it was inscribed. Say something nice to Sarah. For 50 years. This man attributed. A successful marriage. To affirmation. I kid you not, if you will begin to apply this, if you're married in that, in your dating relationship with some reservation in that, or in any relationship where you know that someone is insecure and you have earned enough respect to give a sincere compliment or affirmation, they're going to re- recognize as that. Over time, their attitude about that insecurity is going to turn right around and they begin to have a greater confidence in themselves. We're going to see that with her. The area of her insecurity, of her looks and their relationship, as we go on in this book, you see her confidence being strengthened because of his affirmation. So to sum it up today, how can you be attractive? How to be attractive? How were they attracted to one another? Character. Character is what makes you most attractive to others. Not your firebird, not your bank account, not your house, not your bronzed body, but your character. That is what most counts. Because all the other stuff with time is gonna just be a veneer that wears thin. Character is what lasts. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And secondly, those insecurities that we all have, personal insecurities, are overcome by frequent affirmation. You can't do it enough. Be it children, be it friends, And be it Solomon and his bride-to-be, be it husband and wife. Affirmation. Let's pray together. Lord, how we need a text like this. In a day and age that looks at sexuality in a completely ungodly and secular light, we need a fresh word from you on the issue. We need to know what to do with these passions you've given us. We need to know what is appropriate, how to truly be attractive, how to truly be godly in a godless age. Lord, I pray today that we would not let the world squeeze us into its mold, but rather that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And may that renewal today, may part of that renewal be, that our attractiveness will not be simply the external, but will be our character, that which lasts. Help us to be godly men and women. And I pray also, Lord, as we struggle with insecurities and in these relationships that you give us, that we would be slow to criticize and very quick to affirm, to continually affirm one another and build one another up. Bless us, Lord, as we go through this book. I pray that we might grow to be more like Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. God bless y'all. We're just